Hi everyone, welcome to Hound Opinions. I'm your host, Bill Mayeroff. Before I tell you about my guest, I got a little business to take care of. We're coming to the end of Season 2 of Hound Opinions. The episode two weeks from today, that's on the 25th, will be the last of the season. Hound Opinions will be on a short break for the month of September and will pick back up October 6th. I can't believe I've been doing this thing for nearly a year, and thank you all so much for being a part of it with me. Alright, on to what you came here for. If you've been in certain veterinary offices or groomers, you might have seen some signage that says the clinic or groomer is fear-free certified. Have you ever wondered what that means? Fear-free is a philosophy dedicated to alleviating fear, stress, and anxiety in pets by educating the people who care for them, including veterinarians, groomers, rescue and shelter staff, and even pet parents, on how to provide their pets physical and emotional care to live happier, healthier, and fuller lives. I know that sounds vague, but my guest will help explain what it all means. On the pod with me is Mikkel Becker. Mikkel is the lead animal trainer for Fear Free Pets and Fear Free Happy Homes, as well as the host of the Happy Paws podcast. She specializes in reward-based training and behavior modification with dogs, cats, and occasionally horses, pigs, and even orangutans. She lives with her pug mixes, Indiana Bones and Otis, her rescue mutt, Nova, and her horse, Chili. You can learn more about the Fear Free philosophy at fearfreepets.com, and definitely check out Mikkel's Happy Paws podcast by heading over to fearfreehappyhomes.com slash podcast. Okay, thanks for tuning in, and let's get to it. All right, Mikkel, thank you so much for joining me on Hound Opinions this time. Um, so just to start things off, um, why don't you tell, just tell folks what the fear-free philosophy and the fear-free techniques and what, what does it all entail? So fear-free is all about both the physical and the emotional well-being of pets. And this started off in the veterinary industry. So helping vet visits be less stressful, which is very important because a lot of pets don't visit the vet as often as they should. And as often as recommended, a lot of times people will kind of put it off and put it off until it's kind of last minute, like, oh man, it's gotten really bad or it's been a really long time and then take the pet in and it's it's due to stress. That actually is a, a bigger deterrent than even financial concerns. So the stress of the pet is the number one reason why pets don't visit the vet. And the number three reason is the stress to the pet parent. So it's really neat that Fear Free has helped to tackle that by making vet visits less stressful and Fear Free also goes into other parts of the home. So this can be any type of home care, also grooming, pet sitting, boarding and daycare, animal training. So there are different Fear Free certified professionals who can help you and help your pet have a more relaxed, happy life. And it's all through this Fear Free training, which people can also do that in home. So we have fearfreehappyhomes.com, which has a lot of just free resources for people, whether you're wanting to help your pet be less stressed with having nails trimmed or getting a bath, anything like that. There's lots of good information on there. Cool. Um, so how did, how were you introduced to Fear Free? So my dad is Dr. Marty Becker, who is the, the founder okay. of Fear Free. And I remember the first time when he came back from hearing Dr. Karen overall talk about Fear Free, where she was talking about Fear Free, sort of that philosophy of being able to provide veterinary care in a way that isn't causing emotional damage to pets. And what really hit my dad was Dr. Karen Overall was saying, you know, what what a lot of veterinarians are doing is causing repeated severe psychological damage to pets. And it's something okay. that really does, you know, it stays in their brain. It's something they just react on. It's like a survival type of instinct. And so a lot of times, and I'm sure 
for a lot of the the listeners, you can relate to that with maybe one or many different pets that you've had where perhaps when you first took them in, whether it was a puppy or kitten, maybe they were relaxed, they were interested, curious. And then over time, if it's done in a way that's really stressful for the pet or force, a lot of times it turns into more and more of a struggle. So the pet may start to freeze on the exam table, for instance, or freeze when the person is reaching to touch them, start handling. And then eventually it can escalate into that struggle where the pet's trying to get away and actually increase into more offensive aggression where the pet is, you know, seems like what it may seem as aggressive or or vicious, but really it's a pet that's in that survival mode and it's that fight or flight instinct. And they're, they're going into fight because flight hasn't worked in the past. Freeze was overlooked and that fidget with like squirming around, or maybe sometimes puppy dogs get kind of puppy goofy. Uh, Sometimes that, that was overlooked as well or misinterpreted as the dog being happy. So very important to look for those signs to be able to help the pet early on when we can. Sure. And you know, you said your, your dad's the founder of, of fear free and he, and he's, he's a vet. How, um, I mean, did he see, you know, how was he, how did what he does, how did that change once he sort of heard Dr. Overall talk and, you know, how did he start sort of dealing with his patients a little differently? So for him, it was it was like he was enlightened. He was just changed. He was like, he came back and he's like, once he saw it, he went to the, the veterinary hospital and he started seeing these pets and he's like, oh my goodness, they are really stressed. And I think that's okay. super common what my dad went through as it happens, you know, at the groomers, at at boarding and daycare, things like that, where you get so used in those situations to seeing pets that are stressed out that maybe it doesn't seem all that concerning until the point, you know, when the pet's really, really anxious or, or really does go into that aggression. And so once he saw it, he's like, wow, I have to do something. So he ended up being able to recruit a lot of different veterinary behaviorists and certified applied animal behaviorists, different trainers and people in the veterinary industry and kind of beyond. And just really, so it wasn't, Although he had the idea and came up with Fear Free, it really is a, a whole group effort with just some okay. really profound, amazing experts. And so it's been something that's continued to evolve, too. So where it's it has gone into other different parts of the pet industry and all, all kinds of really neat things, like where we just keep having more and more courses for professionals. So I think we just are constantly evolving as we learn more and more about emotional well-being, which that's really a... I think that's definitely a theme now is, you know, even just looking at studies that come in or just that interest where people are realizing pets have these really complex, deep emotional lives, just like people. And so the more that we know that, the more we want to be able to meet them where they're at and give them that kind of humane and compassionate care. Sure. Um, So you're a trainer and, you know, that's sort of how you you approach it, Um, you know, as, as fear-free as the philosophy evolved, how did what you do change? So for me, when I first started, I was doing puppy classes in the vet hospital, mm-hmm. doing more uh, manners or uh, any behavioral issues, working alongside the, the right. pet's vet. And as fear-free has evolved, my role has also evolved too, to doing more more cooperative care, which is teaching the pet to directly participate in their care. So whether it's them offering a chin rest or I worked a little bit with some 
orangutans in Miami. And one of the things we were doing was preparing the one for getting chemotherapy. And so we were teaching her to give her arm voluntarily for injections and things like that. Yeah. So it's, it's really neat because what we can do with orangutans, what we can do with dolphins, we can do the same thing with our pet dogs and cats. So it's, it's really neat to be able to teach them these voluntary behaviors and it makes it less stressful for them and they can have more of a voice and a choice in their care. Cool. Was this sort of philosophy already kind of prevalent in the zoological world? Absolutely. Yes, definitely. Great point. So for sure. So it's, you know, I think that there's been that idea of like with dog training where you can force a dog to do something like with a corrective tool, you Mm -hmm. can't do that with a whale. Like you, it's, it's, it's very different. And so, you know, how do you get an elephant or a whale to move and how do you get them to cooperate? And it's through that positive reinforcement training. So Mm -hmm. uh, it could be a clicker, it could be a whistle. So that's what, what a lot of times are using is a marker signal that lets the, the animal know, okay, what you did just then is what's going to earn you this following reward. So sure. we can teach these really complex behaviors. So it did, it definitely started out more in the, the zoological um, with some of the more advanced places that were really meeting that, that animal's needs. Right. But I think that they've, they've evolved a lot too. I think that that's, you know, in some places it's been somewhat of a slow go, especially in more of the private sanctuaries, but I love that it's starting to progress more that way as well. And fear free is also going towards shelters too, which is pretty neat. Right. Um, that's, that's really cool. Um, so how did you find, you know, as fear free was evolving and, you know, you were, training and your role was as a trainer was evolving. Um, did you have to have some, some, some sort of, you know, maybe occasionally difficult conversations with, with pet guardians about sort of why maybe what they were doing and why sort of the old school type of training that they might've grown up with. I mean, that, that even I grew up with, you know, I'm, I'm 37. Mm-hmm. And like, I think back to, you know, 30 years ago when my family got a dog, it was still a lot of the corrective stuff and, and, you know, and punishment and, you know, whack the dog with a rolled up newspaper and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's something, you know, you know, as a, as a trainer, I have those conversations too. I mean, talk, talk to me about some of those, some of those first conversations that you had and, and putting forward this idea of meeting a pet's emotional needs. Yeah, so definitely. I, th- I think that one of the common ones is, you know, just that idea of like, just get it done, just get it done. So whether it's a nail trim or whatever it might be. And, you know, my philosophy has become just get it done doesn't work in the long run. And so it's, okay. it's helping them to understand that if we are accomplishing something through through fear and force, it really is cause for remorse because later on that pet is going to be more anxious, more agitated. And eventually, you know, they may be in that, that state where, you know, they may be kind of holding back or refraining. So sometimes, Mm -hmm. and you'll see that sort of like with that, the old school kind of training, as you mentioned, and I grew up with that as well uh, before I learned a better way. And you know, with that kind of training, you'll see that the animal may seem better if you don't know the body language. Right. So people will think, okay, I'm watching the show. Wow. The pet, all of a sudden they, they stopped aggressing. They stopped barking. They stopped lunging and biting. But what they may not see is, are the pet's ears are back. They're licking their yep. lips. Their mouth is really tight. They're cowering down. So it's helping people to see, okay, this is what your pet is actually saying. You may think that they're better or that they tolerate what happens to them at the vet, but it doesn't have have to mm-hmm. be that way. We don't want to force the pet to tolerate it. We want them 
to feel relaxed and comfortable and ideally yeah. even enjoy that experience. So helping them to understand. And a lot of times too, it's really coming down to what is important to that person or what really connects to them. So if it's, you know, sometimes it's also like financial concerns and that's the reason why they want to just get something done. Like right now, let's, let's just get it right. over with. Or it's that thought of, oh man, I just, this is just such a bummer. I just want to like get this off my list, you know? And when they really understand that by doing it in that manner, they a lot of times are going to actually end up, uh, it's going to end up costing a lot more money because a lot of those pets that, that are treated that way, a lot of times they have to have like sedation even before they come in right. or, you know, they have to have these like extreme, you know, lots and lots and lots of pharmaceuticals on board right. that, you know, and actually have the full on sedation to just do even basic procedures that if we just take a little bit of time on the front end or even mm -hmm. in an interventional way, if there's already an issue, if we take some time and help them to feel more comfortable and relax, in the end, you're going to save a lot of money. And especially you're going to really protect the safety of yourself, anyone else that's working with that pet. And you're going to protect the physical and emotional well-being of that pet. So it's really doing the best and the right thing for them. Okay. So you talked um, about body language. And this is something yes. you know, I talk a ton about and, and it's, it's an incredibly important thing. Um, but so, you know, you mentioned a few, a few signs that maybe a pet is stressed out. Maybe their ears are back. Maybe they're licking their lips, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, so just, you know, for people who, who, you know, who aren't trainers, who aren't, you know, who don't know a whole lot about about the fear-free philosophy. What is some body language that people can just sort of look for day to day to you know to tell if their pet is stressed in a certain situation or if the pet's uncomfortable in a certain situation? So for sure, um, I, a lot of times looking at the eyes, so there will be furrowed brows. You see more of the wrinkling mm -hmm. in the face, tightness in the face, the right. mouth, when they're happy and relaxed, it's either loosely closed or it's just slightly open and more of a relaxed pant. If they're panting, the tongue is like, you know, more out of their mouth, as, but right. there's a stress pant where the, the panting is the tongue's a lot of times higher up in the mouth. It's mm -hmm. really kind of fast. Um, a lot of times they're looking around. So that hypervigilance, the, the whites of the eyes a lot of times are showing or the pupils that the eyes look hard. So if someone right. says a dog has hard eyes, it's that their pupils are dilating so much the black part of their eye that it does. It looks like a harder eye versus okay. a soft, relaxed eye where you can more see the coloring of the eye. You see less of the whites of the eye, uh, more of that color. And then uh, definitely looking around the mouth. So that tension around the mouth, either the lips pulling back in what's like called a fear grimace Right. Or puckering forward in, you know, if the dog is getting really um, agitated and they may be going into that bark or that snap, sometimes the lips will move forward as well. And then looking at the rest of their body too. So definitely the muscle tone and tension, a relaxed dog, they're more likely to kind of splay out in the side. Their limbs will be out right. versus if they're really tense, a lot of times they, they try and make themselves smaller. So they may appear small or sometimes if the dog's really tense, they will also in some ways appear bigger. So their tail goes up really high. So right. for instance, like a, t a higher tail wag, they may have, sometimes their fur will fluff out. Um, a they call it a pilo erection, which is the hair yep. on the back of the neck standing on end. Sometimes some dogs will do that if they get really excited about something, but a lot of times sure. if it's can also be that fear, anxiety, and stress. So a big thing to be looking out for. Other things that people may not think about are excessive shedding. So it's like, oh my gosh, okay. it's almost like they're a hairy grenade. Hmm. There's just hair everywhere where they were standing hmm. or 
you'll they'll even move from where they were and you'll see little wet wet prints or it will feel damp oh, yeah. beneath where they stood yeah so dogs don't sweat the same way that we do they right. mainly dispel heat by panting and by sweating through their paw pads so it just like us we get sweaty sweaty hands or clammy feet same thing with dogs so you will you'll definitely notice that as well so those are okay. just a few of the many many signs right. that there are right um and I guess I'm, I'm curious, tell me, you know, as, as again, as fear free evolved and, and everything, did you, did you have occasions, you know, growing up did, when you, when you would take pets to the vet, did you, do you have occasion to kind of look back and think like, oh God, I, I realize like now that, you know, they were really stressed out at this point, you know, and when did, tell me about kind of the first realization that you had like that. Yes. Oh my gosh. I, I have so many, unfortunately, <laughs> or I look back and I'm like, oh man, I, if I could go back. But I think the first experience I had with a pet being really stressed was my first dog scooter. I got okay. her when I was six years old and she just was terrified of the car. And pretty much anytime we went in the car for her, it was either we're going to the groomer or we're going to the vet. And this is before right. fear free. So, you know, now being 36, many about 30 years ago, uh, she was right. very, very stressed out. And so like that, that stress panting, um, her eyes are kind of darting around. She's trying to hide under the seats or kind of and going from the front yeah. to the back, front to the back, unable to settle. So definitely seeing that with her and seeing her at the vet and different pets of my own, but also working with different pets. So when I first started sure. out training, I was helping to do some, some assisting at the veterinary hospital. And so I was being trained in the way that was more of the traditional way, uh, which was, right. yeah. So, and, and as a trainer, I knew body language and I was saying, God, these dogs are really stressed. Like this does not feel right. And sure. I remember like learning, you know, to do some basic procedures. And one time I, I do remember I did uh, what they call uh, putting the dog in lateral recumbency, which is when they hold them on their, on their side. And a lot of times okay. that was more the traditional technique for trimming a dog's nails. And I remember right. doing that with one dog and I, it's a lifetime regret where I did as I was told where, you know, holding the dog down in lateral recumbency, trimming the nails, thinking, God, this feels so wrong. The dog was scared. I felt terrible. I mean, I got it done and the dog was really sweet about it, but I felt awful about it. And, sure. you know, it, it was interesting too, to be able to, as I was helping assist and was going through all of that training to really be able to talk more with the pet owners. And one of them, I remember, and that really hit me back then where she goes, Oh, I, I, I hate having to take my dog in. Like I know he needs his nails trimmed, but I hate it. I can always hear him screaming in the back. And, mm -hmm. you know, sure enough, her little dachshund was in the back, you know, a lot of times, you know, the, even the veterinary visits have changed so much in that way, rather than taking the dog to the back, we actually try and do most of the the procedures right there with the, the pet guardian present if they're comfortable. Sure. So, yeah. And so, but back in the day, because a lot of times it, it was more of a forced situation on the pet, right. the pet was taken away from the pet parent because it isn't yeah. fun to see your, your kid in, sure. in a sense held down. And sure. so I, Definitely many regrets from when I first was training in veterinary assisting and like, oh, thank God for the change because yeah, it's, it's just, I come out feeling a lot happier and a lot better about myself now doing sure. a more fear-free way. That's for sure. Sure. One thing I, I want to ask about just cause you, you brought it up the idea of, mm -hmm. you know, doing the veterinary procedures in front of, in front of the pet guardian, the pet parent, um, one of the things that I know happens with, with my older guy, um, with my older guy, Chester is that, you know, he, 
he, he maybe he and maybe he's an exception, but he actually does wind up doing a little bit better when he is not in front of me. You know, he he is able to sort of relax into into the vets and what they're and what they're doing to him. And when he is, you know, in front of me, I've definitely seen, you know, him. You know, I don't I, I won't call it performative, but like it's definitely he's definitely a little bit more heightened with me, with me there. And, and in fact, like, you know, same with when he gets his nails trimmed, you know, if he can, if he can see me, he's a little more on edge um, about it. How often do you see that, you know, sort of see the opposite of what you're, what you were talking about where, where, you know, a pet does better when they're actually kind of taken away or out of, at least out of sight. I think it really does depend. So sometimes they can they can really kind of key in on us. So like sometimes, I mean, if sure. we're nervous or anxious or um, I think for some dogs that are, you know, you as a trainer, like I'm sure your dog gets yeah. super focused on you and maybe, you know, gets yeah. in that training mode like, okay, what's next, dad? What do I do? And so it's sure. like all of a sudden people are touching. It's like, ooh, this is weird. This is, I'm not used to this. Like, right. okay, you can kind of back off. Like, so sometimes <laughs> you will see that where a dog may feel more comfortable kind of one-on-one with a person. Sometimes what happens, and this is a thing to to look for. So you as a trainer, thankfully, you know the signs of uh, fear, anxiety, and stress. You know your dog's body language. A lot of times what will happen though is the dog seemingly will be better away from the person, but what they're, what they're doing is it's more like they just aren't as comfortable speaking up. So it's almost like when they have their parent there, it's almost like they have their, their advocate, you know, it's like, okay, I feel comfortable enough that I can say, Hey, I don't like this. And you know, maybe I will growl or, you know, otherwise, you know, maybe they are going into that freeze mode. So a lot of times that's what, what does happen when the, uh, for someone that hasn't gone through, you know, maybe like, I think the common thing is that the groomer, like, oh, the, the dog does fine at the groomer with the nail trim, you know, but, but doesn't do well with me with the nail trim. Chances are that right. if they don't do well with you with the nail trim, unless you have some, you know, need some, some help on the, the nail trim skills, which right. no problem in that. That's definitely, you know, <laughs> just, it's a skill that we have to learn as people to get good oh, yeah. at, you know, same thing. So, but a lot of times it's just that, that, that pet is more inhibited and yeah. they don't feel as comfortable speaking up. So, I think that that's the thing that we have to really kind of investigate to figure out what's really going on there. Sure. Um, all right. And so, you know, this was the fear-free philosophy was developed initially kind of for the veterinary world and has since expanded to, you know, to training and to, and to rescues and even, even in home. Um, like what are some ways, you know, I know there's, there's a whole, you know, there's courses and everything that people can, can take, but just sort of, for people who are, who are just getting introduced to this to this idea, what are some ways that people can sort of start incorporating the fear-free philosophy into their lives? So definitely figuring out a, a partnering with a fear-free certified professional or practice is mm-hmm. definitely highly suggested because otherwise what we can do is we if we take our pet to a place where they are still forcing care upon the pet and they aren't looking out for that pet's emotional well-being sometimes we can kind of backtrack some of the stuff we do at mm-hmm. home so ideally you're partnered with a fear fear-free professional or you have someone that you know that they are really and and maybe you're right there advocating for your pet so right. that before fear free really took off that was one thing i was doing was you know advocating for my pet every step of the way and sometimes we do need to do that if we don't have someone in our 
our area. But also at home, one of the things that we can do uh, in terms of providing care for our pets, whether it's just basic grooming, or maybe we are doing nail trims, maybe it's brushing, maybe it's whatever it might be, we can set up a treatment station. So a treatment station, essentially, I almost think of it like stepping up to bat, you step up to the base, you know, you're ready, ready to to go. And, you know, it's the pet's way of saying, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to to do whatever this interaction may be. So it's a little different than a a settle space. So like a settle mat or a place training would be like teaching a pet to go to this area. They lie down, rest there and remain there usually uh, until, you know, maybe they're released. But with treatment station training, what it is, is it's more of an interactive place. So it's, it's, I call it uh, a lot of times I, I put, use the cue happy because I want it to be like the pet's okay. happy, happy place. So it's like, like the place where really good things happen. Like we just, right. in, it could be a non-slip mat. It could be a climb platform. It could be uh, like bath mats are perfect. There's pet vet mat and easy visit pet vet mat. Like there are really cool different mats that you can use for your pet, but really what you okay. want is just a non-slip area giving them their like really good treats there, their meals there. And then eventually we add in some handling and the pet always has the choice to move away. We don't force them to go on there. We don't force them to stay there. And that's really important. Okay. Um, So you mentioned um, getting, getting kind of back to the veterinary side of things. Um, How much, you know, as fear free developed, how much resistance from the veterinary industry was there? Because this, I mean, in a lot of cases, you were suggesting doing things entirely differently than they had done them for many, many years. And how do you, you know, how do you sort of sort of get through that? You know, I think the biggest challenge, at least from the outside and, and you know, hearing my dad's conversations with different veterinarians, the I think the biggest hurdle was someone thinking, oh, we already do that. We already do fear free. And when you looked at it, it's like they think that they're doing fear free or doing that because they have they give the dogs cookies at the vet. But you look into that and what's happening a lot of times in, you know, every hospital that I, I looked into where I was trying to help them and guide them towards a different way. A lot of times they were not giving a, they're giving like one treat, possibly two or three treats for the entire visit. And that is nothing for a pet that's (laughs) stressed. And even just proactively, preventively, you want to be, I mean, you want this to be like Thanksgiving dinner, like we're going to grandma's house, it's Disneyland. (laughs) Like this is like this fun experience. And when we make it fun, not only for the pet, but also for the people. So it, it, you know, whether it's something like, you know, you know, you almost want to give them that royal treatment from the car yeah. into the exam room. We bypass the waiting area. So, I mean, there's so many okay. little details that go into fear free. It's a lot more than just giving them cookies. And sure. when we are giving them cookies or different treats, we are giving them very strategically to help build more cooperative behaviors and help build those more positive emotions that can help reduce that fear, anxiety, and stress and lead to a more cooperative okay. experience. Okay. So, how then, you know, for, for a person who lives somewhere where maybe their veterinary options are limited, um, what can, you know, and maybe there's not a fear-free certified vet in the area, um, or, you know, within an easy commute, what questions can people ask a vet that's, that may not be fear-free certified, um, to kind of get a sense of, you know, whether it, it's a good place for, for you to, 
you know, to take your dog or your cat or, or, you know, your guinea pig or whatever. I think ideally being able to stay with your pet throughout if when possible. So there are some procedures where the pet legitimately does need to go in the back, but for a lot of them, the pet can be handled right there. And a lot of the reasons why the pet is brought into the back is because it is very stressful for the pet. And a lot of times it's uncomfortable to have the pet parent kind of seeing that stress or seeing kind of, you know, some of that more forced handling that does happen. So being able to have that transparency, I think transparency is important in any any work field. And sure. I think definitely knowing what your pet is going through and also being able to be that source of comfort for your pet. So, you know, having, and sometimes there may be a trainer there that can advocate for your pet. So sometimes there are people that do that positive reinforcement training or someone that's really good with pets that's there. So you may have a certain technician that your pet really likes or a certain doctor your pet really likes, or maybe one that's more accommodating to be able to support your pet throughout. A lot of times I'm taking in my pet's own treats. So, you know, both, you know, in a fear-free practice there, we have what's called a treat ladder where we have different like, like levels or values of treats where we go up to the really, really, really good stuff. Yeah. And so especially if you're going to a non-fear-free practice, I would definitely suggest bringing in a lot of different treats. So you're bringing in like a smorgasbord of different things. Right. And so being able to give that to the veterinarian, to the the veterinary nurse. And, you know, if your pet does need to stay there for a procedure, ideally being able to bring their comfort items. So this could be like a comfortable blanket from home, maybe their own stuffed animal. So just like when I had my broken arm and I got a stuffed animal right at the very start Hmm. and it went, went with me through my surgeries, (laughs) brought me a lot of comfort. I think the same thing with our dogs. They love that familiar smell and that can bring some comfort for them as well. Okay. Um, you talk a lot about you know, being an advocate for your pet and how important that is. Um, one of the things, you know, this is something I hear, I tend to hear a lot, um, is that it can be difficult to advocate for your pet, especially with a veterinary professional, say in the same way that it can often be difficult to advocate for yourself with your doctor because they have this you know, this training and this knowledge that you don't have. And in, you know, in many cases, you need them at that moment and, Mm -hmm. you know, more than they need you. And so you, it becomes very difficult because you don't want to set up an adversarial relationship and you don't want to be the, the pet parent that is known for causing trouble and and that sort of thing. Um, And, you know, I mean, myself, you know, I have no problem with that, but that's because I am who I am <laughs> and mm-hmm. I've, I've never been afraid to, to, you know, to push people, you know, for whatever their, whatever their credentials are. But like a lot of people do run into that where, where they feel like they shouldn't be pushing back because the vet has knowledge that they don't. Um, do you give, do you have like a script that you can, that you can give people or some, you know, some ideas that you can give people ways of sort of pushing back on their, on their vet without, you know, sort of becoming adversarial. I definitely think that there are some really good resources on fearfreehappyhomes.com, including different, different materials that can encourage people to look more at, at the fear-free philosophy and just what it might be about, even without, you know, maybe that's just like, like, you know, dipping their toe in the water. Okay. Here's a way that we can change even, you know, rather than having the pet have to wait in the waiting room. That's one of the most stressful parts of the whole visit. uh, According to one of the studies, you know, having the pet 
taken right into the exam room instead. So just those little changes. And when a lot of times when they see the difference in a pet, that can make a huge difference for them. So a lot of times they may get that adversarial relationship with that pet as well, where it's like almost a a battle to be able to perform care for this pet. And so if the pet is comfortable and especially if they're cooperative and I remember taking in my, my pugs for the first time to a couple different Mm -hmm. places that this, this is when fear free is very in the initial stages. And, and there was definitely a little bit of pushback back then. And for them sure. to be able to see my dogs doing a chin rest, getting on their treatment station, allowing care, like being able to do these things that a lot of dogs, like they're like, wow, this is what, what's going on here? Like it was, right. it was really neat for them. So I think that for sure. And then the thing I encourage my clients is, you know, if it feels wrong, it, it probably is wrong. So trust right. your gut always. And I love that, you know, you, you know, I think that that's the the neat thing about today's day and age is like, we are feeling more empowered to be able to speak up for ourselves and speak up for our pets. And truly, if it feels wrong, it probably is wrong. So I've had that happen so many times where a client was told, you know, maybe it was something like, you know, if the, you know, the dog that for instance, like started to growl, you know, he's, he's becoming aggressive. Like you need to do something like it's putting the pressure on the person. If you ever have a veterinary uh, professional groomer, whoever it is, that's shaming you for being a bad owner because your pet is aggressive, I would definitely tuck tail and run to someone else right there because obviously they're not understanding you know, what's really going on, which is that the pet is highly, highly stressed. And it's not a matter of obedience. It's a matter of, you know, this pet is feeling like they're going to die and they are in survival mode. So want to make sure that they have at least a basic understanding of of those animal emotions and and a way to meet that in a kind way. Okay. Um, how did the COVID pandemic affect abilities of even fear free certified vets and and pet professionals to sort of practice this, you know, and, and I think especially when it comes to, to vets, because you know, a lot of them shifted to coming and getting your, your dog, your cat in the parking lot because they, you know, no one wanted to be in enclosed spaces and things like that. Um, so how did, how did COVID kind of change the game? Oh, definitely. You brought up some great points there. Definitely the, the way that, you know, ideally we do want to keep the pet, pet parent there with the pet, but during COVID when it was, you know, or when it was really, you know, in the, the really intense stages and lots of quarantining, that was very difficult to do. So a lot of pets were more stressed. They didn't want to leave the car or sometimes they would be more aggressive when approached at the car. So a lot of times it was trying to find ways to bring the pets in that, you know, were less stressful for them. So perhaps, you know, walking alongside, walking parallel to the the veterinary nurse who then takes the dog's leash or, you know, different, different changes like that. I do think that there was some benefit in the way that, Uh, There may have been a little bit less pressure time-wise where Mm -hmm. I think sometimes there there was a little bit more flexibility, but at the same time, I know that, that, you know, the veterinary visits were up. And I think that for a lot of veterinary hospitals, like they've seen that where, you know, the, you know, their waiting list is so much longer than it ever was, you know, more people are having pets. So it definitely changed it in that way. And also with like, yeah, the social, but I think social distancing, honestly, in terms of dog training, that's not a bad thing in terms of being able to allow our pets space. So I think in that way, that was kind of a a benefit to 
uh, the whole pandemic where rather than a lot of times, I'm sure you see this as a trainer, like where, you know, whether it's, you know, the dog is entering the vet hospital and someone's coming out and it's like, oh my God, what a cute dog. Oh, I'm, I, every right. dog loves me. Like, and they, you know, immediately bend down, they reach for the dog. That's very, very stressful. I think people yep. became a little bit more aware of giving the pet personal space, pet and person personal space, and not immediately encroaching upon that, that space. And I think that that's a, a good thing. Yeah, no, that is definitely something I talk about a lot is, is, you know, pets who need space. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's something that's one of those moments. And I'm sure you've had them too, where, you know, I'll tell someone, you know, what you're, what you're describing is your, is your dog telling me they just, they need a little bit of space. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times I'll have, they'll have that moment of the, oh, I get, okay. Yeah. That kind of makes sense. And I think one of the beautiful things about, about the fear-free philosophy is that, it really is kind of geared towards common sense. And and it sounds like that is how it was developed so that, so that, you know, non-professionals could take part in it and could, you know, reap the benefits of it. Absolutely. Definitely. And making it doable. I think that's the big thing. You know, it's like, it may seem so daunting. And I think that's, that's the thing for a lot of, of, you know, veterinarians or different professionals maybe haven't embraced it yet. It it seems daunting. It seems like, oh, that's a lot. We don't have the time, you know, but really just these little changes can make such a huge difference. And little changes for us as pet guardians can make a huge difference for how our pet receives going to the vet and receives any of their home care. Sure. Um, Talk to me about maybe one example of sort of a radical change in terms of how a pet reacted to a stressful situation when, you know, handled in a fear-free way versus in a non-fear-free way. You know, is is there a pet that made, you know, immense progress that, that you know, that comes to your mind or something? You know, I want to hear kind of your best success story. Oh, my goodness. I'm thinking of many, many different pets were flashing before my eyes as I'm thinking about that. But <laughs> let's see. An, a recent one would be there is a dog, Finn, a border collie that I've been working with who was going, we have different levels of of fear, anxiety, and stress within fear free that we classify. Right. So level one is some, some of the more mild stress to so level five is all out. Like the dog is aggressing, cat is aggressing. Right. So they're, you know, trying to bite, um, those kinds of things. And Finn was all out, you know, going like, like teeth bared, snarling, mm-hmm. trying to bite, like no one could get close to him. And it's been really neat working with him because we've been working on a lot of different cooperative care behaviors. So teaching him, for instance, to voluntarily wear a muzzle, which actually keeps him more comfortable because he doesn't have to have as many hands on him and he can have more freedom of movement. And it also keeps other people safe. So he loves his basket muzzle. It's like as soon as he sees it, you know, full body wiggle. And what (laughs) was really neat for him was the veterinary staff seeing him going from that snarling, snapping, no one can get close to him, can't even get him in the exam room to just literally, I think it was a week later, I came in with him and just mm-hmm. having me there as his familiar person, having some some pre-visit medications on board. So he wasn't in full-blown panic mode when he arrived. Sure. So he was a little bit more chilled out. You know, maybe it's almost like he went to the bar, had a little drink before he came in, you right. know, where he's just a little bit more relaxed. Uh, definitely came in in a better headspace. And But as soon okay. as he saw me, he went from hesitant to all of a sudden just full body wiggles, just like a puppy. Oh, 
be like, oh my God, you're here. And he's just <laughs> so excited and jumping up on his, on his treatment station, getting on the, the scale voluntarily. So super neat to see that. Okay. Um, that's, that's really, that's pretty cool. Um, and you know, to kind of, kind of wrap things up, um, you know, for, first off, give kind of the, the elevator pitch as to why just pet guardians, pet owners, pet parents should get into this, this fear-free philosophy. Like why, you know, why, why is it something that everyone should, should study? So I, I believe that once we do, we know better, we do better. So once we know okay. that, our pets respond emotionally to any type of physical care that they receive. And if it's negative, they a lot of times are going to get more and more stressed with each negative interaction. So they become harder to handle. They become, it becomes more of a struggle and a, a physical risk to us and to our pet to, if we embrace fear free and we do it in a way where they feel calm and relaxed, it's so much easier on the pet. It's far easier, less stressful on us. It's safer. And in the end, it's definitely, you know, doing right by our pet. We can offer more quality physical care for our pet when we are attending to their emotional well-being throughout that entire process. Okay. Um, and the real last thing I wanted to, to ask about, you mentioned just in, when you were talking about Finn, that, you know, as, as he was getting better about things, there were some pre-visit medications on board with mm -hmm. him and he wasn't, you know, but not fully, you know, he wasn't fully sedated or he didn't have a full load of drugs on. And earlier you talked about how one of the benefits of, fear-free practices is that, you know, pets don't have to be sedated or, or drugged for, for vet visits. Um, it sounds like though you still think there are, you know, there can be a place for some, for medication. Oh, absolutely. You know, in, in terms of, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what do you say to people who, who might be kind of scared of that? I mean, that's something, that's something that happens to me a lot. You know, sometimes people will say like, my vet suggested X, Y, and Z, or, you know, just suggested this one thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm scared about it. I'm scared. It's going to just knock them out. All this, all this stuff. Um, how do you, you know, how do you sort of strike that balance between, you know, obviously not wanting to knock out, you know, to just completely knock out a pet and turn them into a zombie versus giving them something that just allows them to function a little bit better? Definitely. So what, what we want to do is we want to get them in the right headspace for learning and being able to have a positive, pleasurable experience. And for me, I relate it back personally for uh, to having this extreme phobia of flying when I was younger and to the point okay. where I would be crying, like just hmm. hyperventilating. No one wanted to sit next to me. Everyone felt like hmm. the plane was going to crash because of how <laughs> like distressed I was. It was miserable, <laughs> miserable. And, you know, at that point in time, it's like you could sit Ryan Gosling next to me. You could give me uh, my favorite <laughs> mocha at Starbucks. Like even that would not comfort me. Like I, I was just so stressed. I was kind of beyond reach. And I think the same thing for our pets, like when they are really, really stressed out, they, they aren't in that mode where they can, they are able to be as receptive to the positives and to those pleasurable things sure. that we're trying to pair with that experience. So what we want to do is get them in a more relaxed headspace where they can be able to learn some better associations and learn some coping strategies to better deal with that situation. And so it's really like getting their, their 
body and their brain in a better headspace. So they aren't going into that fight or flight mode where they literally think they're going to die and they're fighting for their life. We want to keep them out of that. We want to keep them in more of that state where they can do some of that higher level thinking. They aren't just sure. reacting. So, you know, and in, in some cases there are pets where maybe they have this, this, these ongoing, really extremely distressing experiences where it's less stressful for them ultimately to be sedated at the vet. And that's okay. So, you know, sure. if it's, you know, it's really doing right by the pet and what is best for them. And for a lot of pets though, we can do just something, you know, just, you know, that it's almost like, you know, it's like having that cocktail before that flight or whatever it might right. be for, for that dog, you know, it's just helping them to chill out a little bit, to be in that better headspace, to be like, oh my God, it's my buddy. And oh, I know this, like rather okay. than sometimes, otherwise that, that stress escalates, escalates, escalates to the point where it's really hard to bring it back once it gets to that really high point. So we want to just prevent sure. them from going into that fight or flight panic. Okay. Well, Mikkel Becker, it has been an absolute joy to have you uh, on the podcast and thank you uh, so much for being a part of it. Um, Final thing, tell people where they can find you and they can find information about about Fear Free um, out there in the wide world of the internet. Absolutely. So I have a podcast with Fear Free called Happy Paws. So if you want to check out awesome. Happy Paws, it's pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. And also fearfreehappyhomes.com is a great website that has a lot of Fear Free information and information about pet behavior for dogs and cats and other critters that you may have, including horses. And also fearfreepets.com is a great website for any pet professional that wants to look at fear-free certification. So definitely suggest checking those out. And you can find me, Mikkel Becker, on Facebook and Instagram. So I'd love to have you find me there. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Um, and maybe at some point we'll do this again. I would love it. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much right. for having me. Thanks. Thanks so much for checking out Hound Opinions. I'm Bill Mayeroff, and I'm the owner and chief canine officer of Big Wags Chicago Dog Training and Dog Walking. If you like what you hear, I'd be really grateful if you could give Hound Opinions a good rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Big Wags Chicago online at bigwagschicago.com. And I'm at Big Wags Chicago, all one word, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. If you have a dog question you'd like me to answer on a future episode, or if you just want to say hi, email podcast at bigwagschicago.com. Thanks.